Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Well, let's get into the Word. Recently, I uh, received a text message from one of our very, very faithful members, and he was updating me on the uh, health of, of one of his loved ones. He had been asking our ministry staff to pray for them, and, and we have been praying for them. And so he texted me the other day, and he said, Pastor, I'd like for the, you and the staff to start praying again because um, my sister's cancer had come back. But what really caught my attention And honestly, what what prompted the development of this message was the fact that he stated in that text message, he said this, she's losing her faith. She's losing her faith. And here's what she was saying. I'm not sure that God loves me. I don't, I don't believe that God still loves me. And to her way of thinking, if God really loved her, then he would not have let her cancer come back. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who's had that same thought while dealing with an an illness or with some other difficulty in their life. Maybe at one time you were absolutely convinced that God loved you. But now for whatever reason, you're just not as sure as you once were. And if that's you today, and I believe that, that Paul has some great truth for you from our text in Romans chapter 8. But before we get into it, let me, let me just share a couple of thoughts with you as to why people struggle with the concept of the durability of God's love. I think one reason for that is because what we know of love we learn from other people. People who stop loving each other for just about every selfish, faulty reason imaginable. Marriages crumble. Friends fall out. I mean, even even parents and children become irreconcilable. Most human love I think you would agree with me this morning. Most human love is conditional and limited. If you fail to meet the conditions, then the love is withdrawn. Another reason some have trouble believing in the tenacity of God's love is is a sense of their own sin. The bottom line is they just don't think they're lovable. 
in their minds, they question how God could still love them after what they've done. And there are no doubt other reasons why people struggle to lay claim to God's love for them. But here's what we need to understand this morning, church. The human impediments to love do not affect God one iota. Unlike human love, God's love has no conditions. God's love has no limits. If we think that, that, that some failed love that, that we've witnessed or, or even been a part of or some sin in our past has just caused God to, to fold his arms and look away, then Paul's words should be a source of, of encouragement for us today and really should banish that idea like forever. Paul teaches us that nothing, everybody say nothing. Paul teaches us this morning that nothing can separate us from God's love. If you made your way to Romans chapter 8, stand with me if you're able this morning. I want to begin reading in verse 39. I'll read down through verse, excuse me, I want to start reading verse 31. I'll read down through verse 39. Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not, mark that, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Somebody say amen. amen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. And these words of Paul learn three very simple truths this morning. Number one, God's love is proven. Look again in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen to me this morning. Calvary is the ultimate confirmation and proof of God's love for mankind. If you want to know whether or not God loves you, just look at the cross. When Paul wrote 
and said that God did not spare his own son, the thought there is that he did not act leniently. That Jesus bore the full brunt of his father's wrath. And listen to me this morning. He did that for us. Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he, that's Jesus, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And as we just heard, with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to me. God showed no mercy to his son on the cross. He allowed them to beat him and scourge him and mock him and spit on him and disgrace him and subject him to the worst kind of death known to man at that time. At Calvary, God showed the length and the depth and the height and the breadth of his love. You say, well, preacher, how high is God's love? Just take an imaginary stroll up Calvary's Hill to that place where three crosses stand. And walk to that middle cross. And once there, right across the top, the height of God's love. And then stoop down beneath the nail-pierced feet. Feet that never one time walked in sin. And write the depth of God's love. And then walk to the left of that cross. The side where the heart of God beats. The heart that loved you and loved me. The heart that bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. The heart that wept over the lost condition of sinners. And at the fingertips of that bruised and bleeding hand write the length of God's love. Now walk to the opposite side, the right hand. The hand that blessed the little children. The hand that lifted the woman caught in adultery. The hand that that stilled the wind and the waves. And there write the breadth of God's love. There is no greater proof of God's love than the cross. God's love is proven. But not only that, God's love is promised. Paul said that God delivered up his son for, I love this, us all. That little phrase, for us all, throws its arms around people of all classes. I'm talking the rich and the poor, men and women. It takes in every person of every race. 
It takes in the doctor and the lawyer and the teacher and the truck driver and the coach and the athlete and the business owner. It includes the married and the single and those who are single again, the moral and the immoral, the good and the bad. Are you with me this morning? It took in a filthy, foul-mouthed fisherman like Peter. It took in a a, a murderous, bloody-handed blasphemer like Paul. It took in an avowed thief on the cross. It took in a crooked tax collector like Zacchaeus. It took in a five-time divorcee in John chapter 4 and a prostitute in Luke chapter 7 and a demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And on September 8th of 1976, it took in a loud-mouthed, obnoxious, long-haired bus kid named Billy Prater. And I'm thankful for that. God's love wraps its arms around everybody, and he proved that at the cross. And note the outcome of God's love. Look at verse 33. The end of of verse 33. It is God that justifieth. The simple definition of justified is to be made just or to be made innocent. It's really a a legal term by which God pardons all of the sins of those who put their trust in Christ. And then it treats them as righteous or being right with Him. For the last 13 years, I have Besides pastoring, I've also worked as a, uh, a fully commissioned police officer for the Liberal Police Department. So I like to use this illustration. Let's say you're caught speeding. And um, it's of such a nature that, that you can't just pay the fine. You have to appear before the judge. And so you do. You show up and, and you stand before the judge. And um, you're not there to argue your case. You're not there to give some excuse because you know full well that you were guilty. I mean, there's no sense in arguing it. You know that you were speeding. And so let's say at the end, the judge finds you $200. But at that point, I stand up and I say, Your Honor, I'll pay his fine. And you can put his charge on my record. And let's say the judge agrees to that. At that point, you are justified. Just if I'd never been caught speeding. Is what the word justified means. As a matter of fact, it will never appear anywhere in your history. Now, does that mean that you weren't guilty of speeding? No. You absolutely were guilty of speeding. It just means that someone else paid the fine and took the charge for you, and your record is clean. Anyone who goes to the cross and puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are justified. 
It's not on your record. It'll never show up on your record. Jesus paid the price for your sin and for mine. Amen. And that's the ultimate end of all of those who are willing to accept God's love for them and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are justified. They are made right with God. So according to Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, God's love is proven. God's love is promised. But then I want you to understand this this morning. God's love is permanent. Paul asked a rhetorical question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is obvious. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. There will never be a time when God will stop loving you or start loving you less. No matter what you do or how you react to what comes your way. That being the case, let me share a couple of thoughts with you this morning from the text. Number one, no adversity can separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 35, Paul counters the false assumption that if we encounter adversity in any form during the course of our walk with God on this earth, that is because he must have withdrawn his love from us. Paul says that's not even possible. As a matter of fact, that assumption misses the point. God's love is not some kind of magical mist that we spray on to keep pain and trouble away. No, not at all. God's love is the glue that keeps us bonded to Him when troubles come. Well, Pastor Prager, I'm not, I'm not sure Paul understood suffering like I understand suffering. If he had suffered like I've suffered, I don't think he would be so quick to say that God always loves you. Fair enough. I'll accept that. I'll take that. But let's, let's just take a moment and see what Paul knew of suffering. We're not turned out. I'll just read it to you. It's found in the, the latter part of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul gives us a list of difficult times that he went through. He said, in labors, more abundant. In other words, he's talking there about the fact that there were many, many, many times that he labored to the point of exhaustion. In stripes, he said, above measures, and he'll elaborate on that in a moment. He said, in prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft, literally meaning that there were moments in time in the life of Paul when he was in literal life or death situations. He said, of the Jews, 
Five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Paul's talking about those times when he was beaten across the back 39 times with a cat of nine tails. It was a little whip that had leather strands on it that had sharp objects on the end that they would wrap around your back and and pull it off. Paul said, "I, I went through that five times. He said, thrice was I beaten with rods. The cat of nine tails, the stripes were the Jews' way of punishing. The rods were the Roman way of punishing. So Paul got it from his own countrymen at the Jews, and he got it from the Romans as well. Three times he was beaten with rods. Said, once I was stoned. Thrice or three times, he said, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day. I have been in the deep. In other words, there was a time in Paul's life where he was left in the water floating on some object and he survived. He said, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the, uh, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he said this, and beside all of those things, That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Granted, Paul may not have been through everything that you've been through today. But I think you would agree with me that he went through enough to be tested with respect to God's love. And in the end, All of that adversity served to increase his appreciation for the extent of God's tenacious grip of love. And where did we ever get the idea anyway that God has promised us an easy ride through life? We sure don't get it from the scriptures because it's not in there. How many of you had parents who offered you a a problem-free life? Parents don't do that. But what they do is promise to always be there to help you and always love you no matter how many times you disappoint them or walk away from them or refuse their love in return, a good parent, a good mom, a good dad, they're going to be there. And who's a better father than our heavenly father? God, listen, God's pledge is not that we will never have to endure sickness or hurt or heartache. Or heartbreak. 
Nowhere in his word does he suggest that we'll never have to experience the agony of, of divorce or desertion or the heartache caused by a wayward son or daughter. But here's what he does promise. He promises that these things will never separate us from his love. No adversity can separate us from the love of Christ. We're quickly coming upon the two-year anniversary of the sudden and, and very unexpected death of our oldest son. February the 6th, 2018. Our daughter-in-law called us and through her tears, she said, TJ's dead. He was killed while he's working on his pickup in his driveway. His mom and I have never suffered pain. Like that night. I can't even begin to describe to you the, ag the agony and the anguish of the hours that followed. And that we still experience from time to time. But I think I can speak for my wife as well this morning. When I say this, not one time have we doubted God's love for us. Not one time have we said, God, this is your fault. I'm not going to say we've responded perfectly. But I know, at least for me, I've never said, well, I wonder if God loves me anymore. No, here's what I know. God does love me. And that was one of the few things that I had to hold on to was the fact that though I don't understand it to this day I know that God still loves me and that no adversity brother Dennis can separate me from God's love but then Paul said this no enemy can separate us from the love of Death can't separate us from his love. Mercy, death ushers us into the full presence of his glory if we're saved. Life, as we've already talked about, and can throw some nasty stuff at us. But nothing that halts God's love. What about angels? Well, if you'll study this in context... All of the things that are mentioned in verses 38 and 39 are in contrast to one another. So the reference here to angels has to be to good angels. And they're not going to separate us from God's love. Why would they want to? They're ministering spirits. Demonic principalities and powers on the other hand would love nothing more than to come against us and destroy us. They would love to be able to snatch us away from our loving Heavenly Father. But listen, they can't. And Paul then mentions things present and things to come. 
And it's so easy for us to be shaken in our confidence by the reality of present trouble and the prospect of more trouble to come. But for those who live in the certainty that God loves, that God's love will never let them go, there is a peace that passes all understanding. I mean, come on, how, how can we look at our nation right now and look down the road at what seems to be headed our way and not have concerns. But no matter how bad it gets for God's people, God will never stop loving us. And in reality, it ought to be the our confidence in the love of God that sees us through whatever comes our way. So in closing this morning, let me just say this. I don't know what concept of love you grew up with. Neither myself nor my wife grew up in Christian homes. We're both first-generation Christians. Both of our parents were alcoholics. Hers were, were far more abusive. Mine weren't really abusive other than to each other. They, they never did anything to my brother nor I. So our concept of, of love growing up was really whacked out. Now, I don't know what your concept of love was that you grew up with or that you've seen modeled, but here's what I do know this morning. It was imperfect. As good as it may have been, it was still imperfect because nobody but God can love us perfectly in every way. And I wonder this morning, have you accepted God's perfect love for you? Have you accepted it in salvation? I preached how God proved his love for us by sending his son, Jesus, to suffer and to die on the cross in our place for our sin. If you sit here this morning and you're not saved, listen to me, please. God still loves you. Oh, but preacher, you don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter. I just gave you a list earlier of, of people that God loved. A five-time divorcee, a, an adulterous person, a demonic person, a person who hurt themselves, who cut themselves. God still loved them. And I'm telling you this morning, God loves you. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross. His free gift of salvation is yours for the taking if you want it. But listen, he will not force himself upon you. That's not how God works. To receive God's love and salvation is to be assured of his presence in your life, both now and forever. But listen, I've got to be honest today.
to reject it is to be ultimately cast away from the presence of His love eternally. There is, there is no love of any kind in hell. For those who are saved, let me ask you this today. Are you living in the assurance of God's love? I know that can be a struggle sometimes. Because you just can't wrap your mind around what's been happening to you. And thus you wrestle with the reality of God's love because in your mind you're thinking what the, the, the woman I mentioned in the introduction is thinking, if God loved me, why would he let this happen? And I'm not going to stand here this morning and blow a bunch of religious smoke at you. I'm not going to stand here and pretend to be God or to understand why things happen the way they do. But here's what I know. Nothing. Not even the trials of this life can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your head with me this morning as I pray? We're getting ready for our time of invitation. I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart this morning. I don't know your situation. I don't know the circumstances of your life. I don't know who's saved here. I don't know who the members are, who non-members are. I don't know if you've been here forever or maybe this is your first Sunday. But here's what I know today. God had brought you here on purpose. You're not here on accident. And the truth of the matter is today is an historic day. Because this crowd, this particular crowd will never be assembled in this place just like this ever again. This is a unique opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime service. Now, there will be other services, and other people will be here, but there will never be a service where just this group of people will be here. This is a special day, and God brought you here today for a special purpose. Either He wants you to understand that He loves you immensely and that His Son died for you, and He wants you to be saved today. Or maybe he just wanted you to be reassured because of some circumstances and some things that you're dealing with. He just wanted you to be reassured today that he still loves you more than you could even begin to imagine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that this sermon was an encouragement to you and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you have any questions about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.